across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pints. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon. Welcome to Flavour with Alan Alder, Sue Bailey and me, Matt Bentman. Our thanks to Ian Daybon for the last two hours, and if you've tuned in expecting to hear Ollie's slack, in a change to the schedule, the football show will now be on after Flavour at 2pm on Saturdays. And today on Flavour, a new book by Rosie Sykes, a trip to Cambridge's Sunday Market, some fascinating tips on foraging for fungi with Steve Thompson... And the new Cambridge wine merchant that's beaten Waitrose into second place in the national and highly prestigious Decanter Awards. And we've got plenty of local food and drink news too. But first, Sue goes out and about on a windy day talking with the foraging chef. We're now in September and I'm talking to Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, head chef at the Plough in Shepworth, about what are we going to find particularly in the woods and the meadows this month? So basically this month we'll talk about mushrooms because now we've had the warm and the wet, they're finally starting to come through and they're coming through really strong at the moment. Meadows and woodlands, you'll find mushrooms at the moment. We'll start off with what we're looking on the meadows and everything like that. We're finding lovely fairy rings everywhere at the moment, which are brilliant. I mean, we've got some agaricas growing in rings. They're probably the most well-known family of mushrooms. They're your field mushrooms, your horse mushrooms, your button mushroom comes from that group as well, that genus. Um, and we're also getting fairy ring champignons. Another name for them is mousserons. Or they're a lovely little mushroom growing. But first of all, we'll talk about how to identify and how to get into mushrooms and picking them. So first of all, like any any fun pastime or something like that, it, it's what you put into it. So you don't get anything easy. Nothing comes quickly. It's about time. It's about knowledge. You've got to spend a lot of time researching at home and reading books and going online and watching what other people are doing. Social media is a good thing. You can follow other foragers, see what they're picking at the moment to get an idea of what's around. And you've got to spend a lot of time out in the woods and in the fields. You can't learn it without putting the miles in. So, it's yeah, it's about experience, but it's it's a lovely thing to get into, and it's it's a good thing as long as you, uh, as long as you follow the basic rules, which are there are no rules across mushrooms. There is none of this, if it's got white gills, you can't eat it. If it's growing off a yew tree, you can't eat it, like blah, blah, blah. There's all these wonderful mushroom myths that come out of everywhere. There is no rules like that across mushrooms at a broad spectrum. Basically, what you have to do is you have to start learning the attributes to each genus. Once you learn the attributes to each genus and you can put the mushroom into that genus, then there become rules and it becomes a bit more structured like that and that's how you start to learn it. How many genuses of mushrooms are there? <laughs> Off the top of my head, I can't think right now. But talking, there's quite a lot, yes. We're talking tens or hundreds? Uh, um, we're probably talking tens, yeah. Yeah, so you've got your ones, say, like your Amanita family, which are the ones that instantly flash up because you've got a lot of your poisonous ones in there. You're destroying angels, your uh, your death caps, and the classic fairy tale mushroom, the fly garrick. But you've also got some lovely eaters in that one as well. 
it's about putting them into genuses, working out their attributes, looking at, so say for instance, we go back to the Amanita family, they grow from the egg at the bottom. So um, not all of them have got vulvas and warts, but some of them do. So it's it's about looking at that and like agaricus, again, we go back to that, that's the easy one. You're looking at the gill colour, so you've got them that start off kind of pinky, grey and then black, dark. Um, you've got the little crooked shape at the bottom of the peg. For instance, for the horse mushroom, once you get into there then, you've got the lovely cogwheel that forms around the top. It's, it's about buying the books and doing the research, basically. A good guide for it is Roger Phillips's Mushrooms. That's an absolutely fantastic book. There's, if you want more, something for free, you've got Wild Food UK, do a lovely website, or First Nature. And also social media. There's some really good groups online where you can see what other people are picking. What I would say with that is that anybody can answer and anyone can put on there. So you have to learn who the admin are, who are the trusted mycologists that run the pages and listen to their advice rather than listening to everybody who puts things on there. When we've had a look out in the woods, uh, you've shown me that you've got, you know, you've one type of mushroom has got, through its different life stages, looks so very different. Exactly that. It looks so different from when it first comes through to when it then gets old and decaying. And it's, it's, it's the same with plants and everything. But mushrooms, I think what makes mushrooms harder to identify, in my opinion, is that they've got such a short season. So whereas with plants and things, you've got a good few months of at least of each plant, and some of them around all year round. Mushrooms, you've really only got a month or a couple of weeks with it. So it doesn't give you as long. So what I would say is to aim for, is when you're getting into mushrooms, say, is to sit down with a good field guide, just start to learn the basic attributes to each genus. Just pick, just pick three, say, three of the ones that you're going to find that are more common, and just start to learn them. And it will give you an idea of what you've got to look for when you go out. Whenever you go out then to pick, find mushrooms, pick a few, bring them home with you, sit down, identify them. Ideally, when I'm trying to write, if there's something that I go out and I don't know what it is, I'll try and pick three. So one when it's really young, one when it's old, and one in the middle. Gives you a good idea of where it's going. There's nothing wrong with picking mushrooms. That's another myth. They're just a fruiting body. So it's no different to picking an apple or a blackberry. You're not doing any harm. There's no need to cut it. I mean, you take a knife with you normally because then you trim it up when you're there and put it in your basket nice and clean. It saves you a job when you're at home. You just pick them. Absolutely fine to do that and actually 100% necessary to do that to identify because if you don't do that, you're going to miss some key identification points on the bottom of the peg. The peg being the base the, of the The mushroom. base of the stem, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. I saw some puffballs when we were in the Cotswolds this week and I was suddenly thinking, oh yes, this is one mushroom I think I would be fairly confident identifying. Is that right? Is that the giant puffball? Yes. Yes, there's not really. and The only thing you can really mistake that for is a deflated football. And it's, that wouldn't taste, be tasty. <laughs> it's not quite as tasty, no. No, yeah, giant puffballs are pretty much pretty foolproof. There's nothing really that you can misidentify them for. And yeah, they are around everywhere at the moment. Um, the important thing to say about them is to cut them in half, make sure they're pearly white through. If you start to get yellow or browning, you'll feel it when you pick them up. They get a bit squidgy as well. Um, it's gone to spore and it will make you quite sick. That was the result which I had when I tried one, well, which had gone over. Yeah, I have heard of a few people doing that. The other thing to be careful of, which catches a few people out, is if you're going to dehydrate them, um, I normally make sure I do it quickly on a high temperature. Because if you, can do it, if you do it on a low temperature, sometimes I've seen that cause a lot of strong yellowing and whether that's gone spore or not i don't know but i don't like taking the risk with that no exactly so make sure it's pearly white as yeah. You say. yeah it makes a lovely powder we use it to thicken stocks and sauces and things like that and it's it's wonderful as a way of preserving it because you can only eat so much at a time and normally you find a lot at once what about flavors and textures and so on how different are they from one genus to another well flavors throughout the mushroom families 
changed dramatically. You've got things from, you've got mushrooms that are really spicy. Uh, you've got mushrooms that are citrusy. You've got the aniseiness. You've got the classic mushroom flavour. I mean, there is so many different flavours. There is unbelievable. I mean, you look at a few of the families, especially the Russellaya family, which has got like the brittle gills and the milk caps and things like that in it. They really, really vary within their own genus and what what the flavours can be. And in fact, the Russellas or the brittle gills, one of the only ways without a microscope to tell the edibility on them is to do the taste test. If it's spicy. Well, so basically, you take a little nibble on your tongue, not swallowing, give it a bit of a chew, move it around your mouth, and spit it back out again. Um, you're looking for that not being really peppery and really spicy. If it's more mellow, then it's one of the edible rustlers, and you're good to go. But there's there's a lot of different variations. Chicken of the woods in itself can taste different, and to different people, everyone's taste buds are different. So I've had some chicken of the woods that has been really, really, really lemony, and I've had others that have just tasted really sulphury and horrible. You can't say there's one particular flavour profile, really. No, no, it varies massively across the mushrooms. Yeah, I mean, I have my favourites, and I think everyone has their favourites. Why do you think it is that in this country we are so very anti-buying? mushrooms that are not just your standard button mushrooms i mean looking at a market for example in france or somewhere like that there are so many different mushroom varieties on sale we just don't have that here do we no i think it's ignorance and fear i think you get a lot of people that are very very scared of it and that comes through lack of knowledge and i do think it's something we should be taught from a much younger age and it's a it's a it's a knowledge that should be brought back more. I mean, we've talked about this before with foraging and it feels to me like there's been a couple of generational skips of it from what you look through back in back in history. And I think it's becoming it's good that it's becoming fashionable again because hopefully now um, the next few generations will start to learn. It's it's great for cutting down air miles, it's great, it's great for the planet. We should be using these foods and but without knowledge it's not safe to do so and people are scared of it. And I think when that comes back we're missing out on some wonderful food that's around all the time because people are too scared to eat it mm. and to, to, to learn to, how to identify it to eat. Puffballs and the fairy rings, two ones perhaps to look at. A- any third one you'd suggest? I wouldn't say the fairy rings are a good one for a novice. They're a, they're a pretty one and they're a nice one to have a look at. But I would say at the moment stick to the agaricus family, which is your field mushrooms. There you're looking for... Um, one subgenus to avoid, which is the Xanthodermis, which is your yellow stainer group. So what you're looking for with the agaricus mushrooms is to identify it as an agaricus first place. Then you're looking to make sure that it doesn't have a phenol or... I get burnt plastic with the smell. I think it's the easiest way for me to describe it. And a strong yellowing at the base of the stem especially. Um, it's much easier to identify on the younger mushrooms. And you'll just... A little scratch on the side at the top and it will go instantly chrome yellow. And that's the ones to avoid. A little bit of yellow staining later on that comes in slowly is fine as long as you don't combine it with that smell because, say, for instance, the horse mushroom, it, it does stain yellow, but not quite as aggressively and quickly. Um, to make 100% sure, take some home, take a slice of it, put it in the microwave for 30 seconds. You will get that smell because, obviously, cooking it is going to enhance that smell. So you'll know straight away whether it's an okay or not. So, yeah, agaricus is... So your field mushrooms, your horse mushrooms, you're looking to avoid yellow stainers. That's a nice, safe and easy family. Giant puffballs, really easy. There's nothing you can go wrong, really, with giant puffballs, as long as you've got a good attention to detail, and or some attention to detail. <laughs> and for a third group at the moment, we have the uh, parasol mushrooms that are just starting to come through. 
and the parasols themselves. I'm not talking shaggy parasols. I'm talking uh, macro lepiota. And uh, you've got a lovely snakeskin pattern on the bottom of the stem. And that really gives it away with a ring on the stem that can be movable and then the big parasol shape on the top. So maybe have a look in your books and do agaricus families. With them again, you're just identifying the yellow stainer. Get rid of that. The rest are all edible. Well, the yellow stainer group of mushrooms. Giant puffballs and parasol mushrooms. I will try having a, a little forage myself and see what I can come up with. And so really the season will be over in the next month, would you say? You get a main flush now, which is normally anywhere from August, and it'll it'll start to get quieter again, sort of mid to end of October. But it it depends. I mean, there is always mushrooms going, so a lot that we'll pick around here. I mean, some years, two years ago, we were picking them over Christmas time. Last year, this is for trooping funnel mushrooms, which is one of my favourites. So two years ago, we picked them over Christmas. Last year, we picked them beginning of November. So it's a natural product and, and nature does what nature does. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much, Steve. And we look forward to next month's pleasure. <laughs> thank you, Absolutely fascinating. I, I didn't know about that range of flavours from different fungi and the suggestion of getting to know three mushroom families so you can identify them. It's a really helpful one. But do take care and don't eat anything from the wild that you're not absolutely sure of. We don't want to lose any listeners. And speaking of losing listeners, we don't want uh, we don't want Ollie Slack to lose any either. If you've tuned in expecting to hear the football show, it will be on at 1pm today and on future Saturdays. And whether the mushrooms you have are foraged or cultivated, here are some ideas for cooking them from Rosie Sykes and Tristan Welch. So I am a big fan of a chestnut mushroom. And I think one of the nicest things you can do with a chestnut mushroom is actually roast it in the oven. So toss it in some olive oil, salt and pepper. Put it in a quite oh, sort of just below 200 oven in a hot tray. And what it'll do is it will start to kind of brown a bit and then quite a lot of liquid comes out and then it gets reabsorbed. And what I tend to do is once the liquid has come out, add also you can add any kind of flavorings i've been really into a la greque at the moment which is that very classic french way of treating vegetables so coriander seeds a bit of white wine a bit of garlic tiny bit of tomato puree or, or a peeled tomato um, some olive oil and maybe a bit of stock and then let them simmer away in that a bay leaf let them simmer away in that and sort of re um uh, re-evaporate is that the right word anyway sort of suck up all the juices and then let them sit for a while and that that is a really delicious sort of you can serve that warm as part of a an hors d'oeuvre or it goes really nicely if you're i don't know grilling some chicken on the barbecue or a pork chop so that's a lovely thing to do um big flat mushrooms are really nice on the barbecue i think with some garlic and parsley butter i think they need very simple treatment really because they they have such a great flavor don't they if you if you get it right mushrooms well if you've got just simple basic mushrooms what i really adore is making mushrooms a la greg so first of all quarter your mushrooms or you can even leave them the whole of their button mushrooms in the, in a hot pan some olive oil or then to that add some chopped onions some chopped garlic tomatoes and if you've got uh, um, if you haven't got any tomatoes in your fridge touch of tomato paste or some tinned tomatoes cook that down and then i like to add some sherry or cider vinegar to that to give it an acidity 
loads and loads of pepper in it. So it's nice and peppery, acidic. And you've got this tomato, the piquant sort of um, tomatoes as well. I sometimes put chilli in it as well. You cook all that down in a pan, pop it in a jam jar, leave it in your fridge. You've got mushrooms a la grec. So you, you know how we've all got a, I hope we've all got a jar of olives in our fridge when we have a little uh, um, a snack in the afternoon sort of thing. You can pull out your jar of mushrooms a la grec. They are sensational. In fact, they work really well with fish as well. If you're going to pan fry um, your fish, which I know I see you buying on a Saturday morning, Alan, actually, <laughs> and, uh, and we, we, we meet regularly in the queue, uh, a dessert spoon or tablespoon of mushrooms a la grec with some pan fried fish is just a very special thing. Mm, right, I should do that. So I think. Okay. The shelf at Delhi has some very nice looking Italian seps in right now, and Culinaris gets good mushrooms too, as does the Serve Yourself stall on Cambridge Market. On to our first news break. The garden kitchen in Kettles Yard is now open from 11 to 5, Wednesday to Sunday. Smokeworks is having a takeover of the three horseshoes in Maddingley on 18th September. There will be a barbecue, beer, bourbon and cocktails. Email 3, the number 3HS, at camscuisine.com to book. Today, Saturday, the Azahar food van is at Thirsty in Chesterton Road, and there's good news for lovers of Bao. Gorilla Kitchen's Bao kits will be available again soon. There's good news for lovers of fried chicken, too. Steak and Honor have been at work perfecting their own version called Dots Hot Chicken, and it's now available cooked to order from Wheeler Street or delivered by Foodstuff. Tracy and Julia of Emerald Foods at Cambridge's Daily Market are on holiday in Portugal, so the stall is closed until the 23rd of September. However, the English government announced on Thursday that people returning from Portugal have to quarantine for two weeks, so the reopening of the stall will have to be put back until October. However, before they went away, they put in place a process so that people can still buy from them if they did have to go into quarantine on their return. So the thing to do, if you're not on our mailing list, we will obviously notify people. Then if you look on our website at emeraldfood.co.uk and then um, there'll be information on that website there'll be contact numbers and ways of getting in touch with us and um, worst case scenario, if we have to quarantine and we can't try on the market we have a store attached to our house so we can send things out to you from our store if you contact us great so there is hope yeah <laughs> there's always hope <laughs> It's Bordeaux Wines Month, and at Cambridge Wine Merchants Wine Bars, they're offering a flight of four Bordeaux wines for £7.50 per person. In addition, there's a Bordeaux dinner on the 21st of September at the Senate Bar and Bistro, with four courses and matching Bordeaux wines for £65 per person. Book by email kings at cambridgewine.com or by phone to Cambridge 309 309. And many congratulations to Cambridge Wine Merchants for winning the Decanter Award for Best National Wine Shop. Very well done. I met a man on Cambridge Market last week. He's a chemical engineer, many moons ago, he says. And then he went on to own his own coffee shops. And now he is selling pesto, harissa, peppers and olives on the market, just facing opposite Great St Mary's Church. So, here is a little bit more about him. I've been here for so many years now. This is Mohammed. On Cambridge Market, he has a stall selling olives, feta, pesto, hummus. I always think that knowing each other by first name makes it a lot closer than just a customer and a business owner. And he knows his products well. 
He knows his customers well. Hello, 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 How hello. Are How are you? Very well, thank and you. How's Chris? He's okay. We suddenly realised we were out of olives, so I had to rush okay. down. Uh, some calamata olives, please. His stool is there on Sundays. He's been a regular there for about ten years. And the name? It's Borough Olives Limited. The Borough Olives name comes from the business originally working at Borough Market in London, which they still do, as well as other places like the market at Saffron Walden, for instance. Do you want some basil and garlic? Yes, I have a few, please. I'd like some artichoke hearts as well, please. Sure. If you have two pots, because I was going to get some for my mum as well. We've got four left. Do you want uh, I'll you take. Want no, no, no. Pots? If there's only four, I'll have them all. <laughs> I love her, but not that much. <laughs> the stall is full of oak barrels. Well, half barrels. Each one a half barrel full of various olives, pestos, hummus, and so on. Olives from Greece, three different varieties. Three or four we import directly from Spain. Uh, we have Italian nocellera, if I pronounce it correctly. Very mild and it's very Moorish. What I call it is an Italian racing green. It is. It's a very lovely green. <laughs> and our famous Greek feta. We've still got some of your feta cheese from last week. We're going to have a Greek salad tonight. And artichoke heart and our sun-dried tomato imported from Italy. And each barrel with its own wooden ladle made from an olive tree. And it looks very good. <laughs> they are oil-proof almost all the times. As a result, we can put whatever we want in them. And it looks very well. Lots of good, healthy Mediterranean food. It's just a healthy food and healthy eating. Yes. Yeah, they're nice. Could I have, <laughs> Could I have a pot of those, please? Our bestseller is Greek Queen Olive Pitted with parsley, tarragon, lemon juice and garlic. We probably go through about 20 kilos of it, if not more, over the weekend. Then we have another one which is a very mild Spanish, black olive with sun-dried tomato and garlic. That one we go through about 6 to 8 kilos of it in one Saturday. And it's because they're mild and they're very Moorish. And, uh, and also pitted, means it doesn't have the stones in it. Covid may have forced a lot of places closed over the last several months, but Mohammed's customers have remained very loyal. They all went online, ordered online. We did well over the lockdown. You're a regular customer here to Mohammed's store? I am, and we used to live in Saffron Walden, so we were a customer of him in Saffron Walden before here. And actually what was really great was in lockdown, you could order it online, so it made a special treats for lockdown. It's yeah. really great. Yeah. No, it is really great. He does fantastic olives. The best I know. So you're quite a connoisseur. I just know what I like, and I know his olives are fantastic. You should ask what Jane does. Okay, I shall ask. What is it that you do? I'm president of Wilson College. Just collecting nice olives for us. <laughs> Thank you, Mohammed. Look forward to seeing you next week. Hello, mate. How are you? Can I have some of those, please? Now, what do you fancy, Richard? As ever, Cambridge market goers are very conscientious, bringing their own recycled packaging. Mohammed offers nice mini tubs for his customers to bring back for refills. Yeah, I'll just put the one back this time. I'll try and bring some more back next time. <laughs> Do you want to try those dolmades? Come, that's the thing I forgot to mention. Dolmades. Stuffed vine leaves containing rice, onion, salt, mint, dill, pepper, soybean oil. Again, you'll find a half barrel full of them on the Borough Olive stall. 
Not on this day, though. This chap was just pipped to the post by a lady who bought up the last 22 for her and her husband. <laughs> That's the problem, we eat too much. <laughs> and when it's too good, it goes too quick. Do you keep him well? Yes, we are, yeah. Ollie's very good for you, yeah? We were just talking about that. Yeah? He's 105, doesn't look good. No, yes. You tried to say 1,000. Anything else for you? That's it, and I'll bring them all back next time. I'm not sure. Thank you. Yeah, we've got really good customer base. I can't say more than that, really. They're really good guys there. But they're very loyal to us, and we are grateful for that. I just wish everybody safety and healthy during this miserable time at the moment. Well, thank you very much, Mohammed. It's lovely, Matt. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Many thanks to Mohammed of Borough Olives. And just to let you know that they also do olive oil, balsamic vinegar, and my personal favourite, balsamic glaze. I love that sweet, gloopy stuff. In fact, the first time I joined this radio station, uh, Axel, the technical manager at the time, gave me a bottle of balsamic glaze. And it is so lovely on salads. And it's not the easiest stuff to find. But you can get it from Mohammed at the Borough Olive Stool on Cambridge Market. He's there on Sundays from 8 till 3pm, and the website is borougholives.co.uk. I'm free. I'm free. Here's where we would normally bring you details of free food available now in and around Cambridge, and the information is from the Olio app, which is free to download. Yeah, some examples of what's been recently available include items from pret a some green tea, tarragon, prosecco, and Heinz mustard. And another free app called Too Good To Go is used by several food outlets in and around Cambridge to sell any unsold goods they have shortly before they close, and they're at knockdown prices. We'll be back in a couple of minutes with a new book by Rosie Sykes. Cambridge 105 Radio. Kickstart your weekend. Saturday Breakfast with Matt Webb. I'm here every weekend to get you moving. I have the latest from the Cambridge News Desk on the hour and half hour. Problems on the A14, Newmarket Road or Mill Road? Well, if there are, you'll be the first to know in the travel. There's a full sports roundup at 8.30, including what's happening at Cambridge United and our other local clubs. Plus a look at the Saturday papers and local online publications at 10 to 9. That's Saturday Breakfast with me, Matt Webb, this weekend from 8. If you're like me, you've got a family and a business, and you want to protect what's most important when the chips are down. With Woodfine Solicitors, that's exactly what happens. I got a bespoke legal service from a friendly expert team. They really listened to what was going on and tailored their recommendations to my situation, which was, well, that's another story. Anyway, the best thing was that it all happened online. A few simple clicks and I had my quote. That freed up time to focus on everything else. Get the help you need when you need it most. Visit woodfinds.co.uk or call Cambridge 411421. Woodfinds, cutting through the red tape. What does your home need to feel complete? Gap Home Improvements have been helping customers give their properties that curb appeal for over 20 years. You've seen our vans in your area providing dedicated support to families across Cambridgeshire. Windows, doors, garden rooms, conservatories and warm roofs. We offer free quotations in a pressure-free environment. In person, on the phone or by video call, our consultants will help you realise your property's true potential. Call Cambridge 914 567 or visit gaphomeimprovements.co.uk today. Cambridge 105 
You may have read that a record number of books have been published in September. Well, amongst them is a new cookery book from Chef Rosie Sykes. It's called Roasting Pan Suppers. Alan spoke with her about it. One of the reasons that I decided to do a book on this subject was because I had a new oven and I found it a bit confusing because it was an induction hob on top and I, I struggled with that because uh, being a chef I'm used to gas and quite immediate, well a different kind of heat. So, so I started experimenting with putting things in the oven and I discovered that um, it's actually a really great way to cook because you can get exactly the same effect but you can spend more time doing other things because it sort of looks after itself. You know, I was asked by the National Trust to um, write a book and this was one of the titles they suggested and it fell in very nicely with my own sort of at the time. One of the things in the book which I really thought was interesting was in the sort of the introductory pages and you talk there about the difference between roasting and steaming and how the size of the pan or the way you've got the, the ingredients put together in there can, can affect that. Yes I think it's something that I, I started to realise because as I say I was trying to learn how to get effects that I would have got in the past in a pan. So, for example, really lovely crispy skin on fish or, or, or on chicken or something. What I realized was one of the very most important things as well, which I think I say in the introduction, but I certainly say in a lot of the recipes, is that preheating your roasting pan is an absolute must. And, and that will always help with any of the sort of starting off of cooking. You know, I remember my mum making a roast dinner and the chicken would go into a cold pan and then it would go into a hot oven. But actually it makes a lot more sense to put it into a hot pan so it starts immediately doing its thing. It's about knowing, thinking about a little bit, I mean, I don't want to call it science because I really am not a scientist, but, but just thinking about techniques that are going to get you the best results, really. So, for example, the other thing I, I was very pleased to master was making a tomato sauce in the oven. Um, and again, for that, you want to reduce it a little bit, but actually it's more about getting lots of flavor. And so having a, a smaller surface area so it doesn't reduce as much is really, really good. So, yeah, it's an interesting theory to work on and, and find that it does work. And also, I mean, you talk about how there are some things that you will want to caramelize and so you need to space those out i think you say so that there's less steam that's and right. more dry heat yes exactly that's that's really important for uh, like i said before chicken skin or anything that you want to be brown and crisp and and you want caramelization on i mean that can be vegetables as well can't it mm. um but yes they they will be much happier in a in a bigger space so that the air can circulate around them and they can caramelize and become sweet and, and delicious. Also, the the braising of meat, you talk there about, I think, putting the meat sort of together rather than spreading it out. That's right, yeah. The same theory as the tomato, making a tomato sauce in the oven. If you've got everything nice and tightly packed, it's all 
there'll be a lot of moisture and steam going on and, and that's what you want for a lovely long slow cook for everything to kind of break down and get to know each other and just the same as if you're simmering away on top but the, I feel like the heat is much more even and because you've got a very enclosed space you can get a lot of steam if you're if you're cooking like that as well. Um, another nice feature of the walk, I thought, was, well, there are two things, really, and again, they're in the introductory pages. There's a, I don't know what you'd call it, a time listing. So meals that would take you perhaps less than half an hour to cook, uh, mm-hmm. what, ones that would take you up to an hour, ones that would take you over an hour. That seems that seems very useful. But you're a trained chef, Rosie. Is your, this will take you less than half an hour? <laughs> Is that going to be yeah. true for people I, like I, me? I I always think it is a bit of a tricky thing because, of course, you know, some people will take much longer to chop up an onion or crush a garlic or whatever it might be, and they might, or their oven might take much longer to heat up. So that, you know, these things are always a little bit spurious. But what we tried to achieve with those listings was time, although maybe a little bit more than 30 minutes, quite a lot of that time is the dish doing its own thing so you can go off and do your own thing. So I think really you can think about it in terms of almost 30 minutes of time where not that you're not doing anything but that it's kind of um, looking after itself. You've got also menu types I suppose so things that you a a feast with friends, alfresco food, celebratory food as well. That's, that's quite a nice and, and, you know, quite unusual feature. It's quite nice for someone to guide you through what things would go really nicely together, almost like, you know, when you shop online, it says, if you if you like this dress, you might also like this <laughs> cardigan or whatever. You know, it's like, um, it's just a bit of a helping hand to join things up and and use the book in a in a more sort of rounded way. And also, there's a, a a great range of of dishes in the in the book. And I think when people think about roasting pan suppers, they're probably a lot of people will start thinking about, I don't know, roasted vegetables or something like that. But sure, yeah, there's an omelette. There's a Persian omelette, no less. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, I just you know we make frittatas in the oven, and so I thought, well, let's give it a try. And it works really, really well for the same, that very same reason of you just let them do their thing. It's really, it's absolutely wonderful. And I love its name. It's called a cuckoo, a cauliflower cuckoo. And it's got turmeric and it's got currants in it. It's really fantastic and very, very quick and easy. And there's the tomato and pepper tian as well. Tians. What, what, what are tians? Well, so a tian um, is a dish of vegetables that is normally gratinated at the end but it's not like how you imagine our sort of traditional roast veg like roast potatoes it's more sort of they're all mixed up together and piled in but it has become a sort of bit of a catch-all it's actually the name of a Provencal dish roasting dish it's become a bit of a catch-all uh, it was very popular Elizabeth David has a couple of recipes for it but I have um family friends who make it all the time and they use it as a place to put all sorts in uh, they've got a huge vegetable garden and they put lots of greens and maybe some rice and it often appears as part of a roast Sunday roast for example 
And what dishes are you particularly pleased with? Have you got any favourites in there? Well, so the first dish which I wrote when I first got the commission is um, a ginger and turmeric chicken with potato and chickpea curry, which I'm really, really happy with. Um, It's got tamarind in it, it's got the sort of sweet and sour thing going on. And at the time, I was really into turmeric as well. So um, that's a really nice one. Another one I'm really proud of is the chicken with mint and lettuce and new potatoes, minted roast chicken with potatoes, peas and lettuce. I had this master stroke that mint sauce isn't just for lamb. Um, and, And it worked out really well. So that's a couple... There's a lovely ham dish where you roast a whole bit of ham on a bed of leeks with cider and then at the end you stir, stir some orichetti into it and some um, creme fraiche. There's some lovely vegan dishes actually. A farinata, which is a chickpea, a, a sort of chickpea pancake really that you make in the oven, obviously. Um, and that, um, my, my sort of flash of inspiration with that is that um, it has whole chickpeas in as well as chickpea flour and then you use the water from the chickpea tin of chickpeas to make the kind of pancake water people call it agua I'm sure you know agua yes. uh, um, and it and it has and make meringues and all sorts of it but actually if you use it in this particular context it makes this lovely light fluffy pancake then I've got some lovely puddings in there, and one of my favourite puddings is it's a sort of mm, custard made with almonds and ground rice instead of eggs, which is really, really good. <laughs> Sorry, back to where we were. Yeah, and, and the book has just been published, hasn't it? That's right. It came out on the 3rd of September, um, and I know that it is currently available at Anglesey Abbey and at Wimpole Hall, being a National Trust book. Um, but I also know that lots of people have been buying it at um, the book people, you know, some of the online places. And I'd love to think that they've got it in um, Cambridge and Heifers and Waterstones, but I'm not sure. I know it's available at Hearts in South and Walgut. Well, the good news is that Rosie's book has been spotted on the shelves at Heifers in Trinity Street. Uh, The book has recipes for meat dishes, fish dishes, vegetarian and vegan dishes, and even desserts. So it's worth getting along to Heifers, and it may well be in Waterstones too by now. Some more news now. Several local restaurants and cafes have announced the continuation of the Eat Out to Help Out scheme in some form or other. In some places, the discount may be different from the original offer of 50% off Monday to Wednesday to a maximum of £10. Check out their social media for full details. Usually they're for eating in the restaurants rather than taking away. Now here are the ones that we know about so far. Le Maison du Steak in Hills Road has 20% off, excluding alcohol, from Monday to Thursday. A Scots All Day in Mill Road has 50% off your bill on Wednesdays, that's up to £10 per person. Maurizio, also on Mill Road, has 50% off food on Tuesdays and Wednesdays during September. And the Tiffin Truck in Regent Street has 25% off food and soft drinks to a maximum of £5 per diner. That's from Mondays to Thursdays throughout September. Butch Annie's in Market Street has 50% off all burgers and fillet skewers from Tuesday to Sunday throughout September. 
De Luca Cucina and Bar in Regent Street is giving 50% off food up to £10 per person on Mondays and Tuesdays in September. Darry's in King Street offers one-third off your food bill throughout September. Parker's Tavern in Regent Street has a lunch menu with two courses for £15 and three for £20 throughout September. Also, city pubs establishments like the old tickets office at the station, the old bicycle shop in Regent Street, Brew House in King Street, the Mill in Mill Lane, the Petersfield in Sturton Street have 50% off food every Monday till Wednesday until the end of October. Camps Cuisine has 50% discounts up to £10 per person if you mention Why Not Wednesday on Wednesdays at the Cambridge Chop House, Smokeworks and Millworks. Nana Mexico is offering a £10 voucher if you spend £20 on Tuesdays in September. Seven Days in Regent Street is offering 20% off Tuesdays to Thursdays in September. In other news, a planning application to redevelop the area of the Flying Pig Pub in Hills Road has been submitted by the developer. You can see the details on the Greater Cambridge Shared Planning website, and there's a Save the Flying Pig Twitter presence too. The Jane Griggs and Trust Award 2021 is now open for entries from food writers, and the closing date is 30th of November this year. Details can be found at janedrigsontrust.org.uk. Now here's something rather amazing. Sue reports. I'm speaking to Matt Hodgson of Great Britannia. And Matt, I gather you've got some really interesting news. Good morning, Sue. Yes, we've got some news that we're really hugely excited about. We've just won the Decanter Retailer Awards 2020 for the best specialist in English and Welsh wines. Gosh, that's that's really good news. How did you come about um, this amazing chance? Well, you see, the Decanter Retailer Awards are pretty much the most prestigious awards for wine retailers out there. So we thought we'd chance our, our arm at it. So um, we, we sent off an application for it. So it's done by application and then judged by industry experts, a couple of masters of wine on the panel, for example. So we sent it off, I think, probably more in hopes than expectation. After all, we've only been launched as a business for 15 months now. So we're, we're quite young. We put our application in and then we're, we're delighted to be shortlisted alongside some other amazing businesses. It's a very strong shortlist for this category. I mean, we were there alongside four other businesses, including Waitrose. And then we found out this week that we'd actually won the category, uh, beating the, the reigning champions Waitrose in second place. That is quite an achievement. Well done. And I gather yeah. you also entered in for another category and did pretty well on that too. Yes, we, we did. So we, we entered for what they call the Green Champions category. Um, I mean, sustainability is right at the heart of our ethos here at Grape Britannia. So, um, you know, it's not just the fact that all of our 200 plus wines um, are sourced locally um, in this country, which obviously means that there's uh, minimal food miles compared to imported wines. But uh, it goes beyond that. I mean, pretty much everything we, we think about sustainability is, is in our thoughts. So whether it's our you know deliveries locally via our box bike, the fact that all of the deliveries we send out um, nationally are basically reusing the packaging that comes in from our suppliers. We, we didn't smash out on the beautiful branded boxes. We just literally take back up the boxes that came in. So we, we reuse everything. And all the, all the furniture in our bar is second-hand, so we've got church pews, second-hand pub tables, and uh, some lovely uh, lovely old chairs. 
great. And you got into the shortlist for this, I gather, as well. Yes, we, we did. Um, yes, we, we got into the last four for that category as well, which we were um, you know, really proud to have achieved. Um, that was another incredibly strong category. Um, we didn't win that this year, but there's always next year. And so I gather your bar section of your uh, of Great Britannia shop is actually open again as well. That's right, yes. Obviously, we were closed for several months, um, like other pubs, bars and restaurants. But yeah, we're absolutely ecstatic to have that back open again. You know, it's um, one of my favourite parts of the, the business, actually, is, you know, is the bar part, serving people the drink, you know, listening to them, enjoying them, getting the feedback um, from the people, having the wine. I mean, we were open um, for, the, for the bar part of the shop on Fridays and Saturdays at the moment, 12 till 10pm, and we've got our usual rotating wines by the glass, so we, we have our three house wines and then uh, six or seven wines that we uh, we rotate um, so that people can get a chance to try something new. That sounds great, and obviously people have been able to come and collect the bottles to take away and drink, and you've been doing, obviously, wine deliveries throughout lockdown. Yes, that's right. That, that side of business, um, fortunately, we were able to continue the whole time, so so we've got our um, fabulous box bike that we've been delivering locally so people can order online. Uh, free delivery in the city of Cambridge. They just have to put the coupon CAM delivery in um, at, when they check out. But yeah, free delivery via box bike in Cambridge. And then we uh, we go further afield um, as well. We send it out by couriers. So people, people can do that. Or um, they're always very welcome to come into the shop and have a browse, have a chat with... Uh, a chat with us here, find, find something new or come back and get an old favourite. And you can find Great Britannia at 1A Arbury Road, just by the junction with Milton Road. They're open from Tuesday to Saturday. And on to our final news roundup for today. The British Library is about to begin its third food season. You can book online and receive a link giving you access. And here are a few of the talks. On the 14th of September, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall gives a talk entitled You, Food and the Planet. That's from 6.30 to 7.30. On the 21st of September, Claudia Rosen and Simon Sharma discuss Jewish food, and that's from 7.30 till 8.30. On the 6th of October, there is a free event called Cookery Book Collections. On the 14th of October, Black British Food Stories, that's from 7.30 to 8.30. Uh, and the uh, final event is the 20th of October, and it's Tom Kerridge in conversation from 5 until 6pm. Uh, the cost of these is generally £5 and free to members of the British Library. Full details of all the talks and discussions is on the British Library website. <laughs> And there's the music that normally signals time for the latest food tweets from the city for today, Saturday. But today, we'll use it to remind you that as well as being on Twitter, Flavor can be found on Instagram as well, at Flavor105. And now, we've just time to squeeze in another mushroom recipe. This one is from Sam Carter at Restaurant 22 in Chesterton Road, which has now reopened. Uh, this is from the menu of last summer. We have a uh, sea trout on at the minute, and we've got a mushroom puree with it. We've got uh, morels are in season now, so we've made a puree out of the morels. Um, we've made a sauce out of morels. So we've got Madeira, uh, white wine, 
shallots, thyme, and then we've made a sauce like that. So we start with maybe two or three banana shallots, and then we start the, the, the sauce that we make at the minute, it makes about 20 portions. So probably we start off with 200 ml of the Madeira, uh, 200 ml of the white wine, and reduce it right down, and then we add the morels in. Uh, a little bit of double cream and then just to, to blend to make like a, a velouté sauce type thing um, but the pasta uh, that goes with this dish is uh, this is a, like an idea that we had so we, we dry all the mushrooms make our own sort of mushroom powder so we dry them out and they sort of intensify in flavour you can smell them drying out and they sort of give off a bit of an aroma uh, and then we blend it into a powder and we do 80% double zero pasta flour and 20% mushroom powder. So you've got a mushroom pasta before you even put any mushrooms into your tortellini or ravioli or anything like that. Um, and it, it really, it's worth, the, it's worth the extra effort, so it's, it's nice. Sounds fantastic. <laughs> Great. It's, it's, it's good, it's a new dish we've just put on and it's, uh, it's going down quite well. Uh, thanks to Sam Carter for that. I do buy sea trout from time to time, so I must make that sauce. And there is Green Onion signalling the start of our jobs section. And Restaurant 22 in Chesterton Road is looking for a part-time kitchen porter. You must be able to work Saturday nights. To apply, email samuel-carter at live.co.uk. The Hare and Hounds in Halton is hiring. They need someone over 18 to join their front-of-house team for about 25 hours a week. There will be some weekend and evening shifts. Experience and a good working knowledge of current guidelines on COVID-19 restrictions is essential. To apply, email your CV to hello at hareandhoundshalton.co.uk or pop in and pick up an application form. And Flourish Produce is in need of several people for a variety of tasks. They're based near Linton and you can contact them via social media. And that's about all the time we have for today. Don't forget we are here on alternate Saturdays at 12, repeated on Sundays at 2, then repeated again on Mondays at 6. Uh, we also have the podcast, which will be available early in the next week. Coming up after the news on Cambridge 105 Radio today, Ollie Slack presents an in-depth preview of the afternoon's football action involving Cambridge United, Cambridge City and Histon, as well as the local grassroots fixtures too. And at 2pm, Lee Chambers' guest is former Education Minister and Home Secretary Charles Clark. In the programme, which first aired in 2016, Charles will be talking about the books he's edited and contributed to since leaving politics, including the Too Difficult Box, The Big Issues Politicians Can't Crack, and a series of books examining the strengths and weaknesses of leaders from the three main political parties. He'll reveal what he thinks of the then-current Labour leadership as well as Tony Blair and his successor Gordon Brown and he chats about the joys of returning to Cambridge but that's all from us we'll be back at noon on the 24th of September but until then goodbye goodbye goodbye, goodbye.